we are jumping into a four-week series on the Old Testament book of Jonah. So if you ever read the book of Jonah, I want to give you this advice. Don't get distracted by the fish. (laughs) I've ever heard of the book of Jonah or read a kid's Bible that walks through the book of Jonah. You probably know that God sends a giant fish to swallow a man and then days later to vomit him up on the dry land. Kids love this story, by the way. But I want to encourage you, as you study the book of Jonah, do not get distracted by the fish. The book of Jonah is 48 verses long, so short you could read it in about eight minutes. And the fish is only mentioned three times in those 48 verses because Jonah is not about a big fish. And actually, the book of Jonah is not about Jonah either. He's the main character in this story, a, a prophet of God who actually gets mad at God. But Jonah's name only comes up, I think, 16 or 18 times in those 48 verses. The book of Jonah is not primarily about Jonah. No, the book of Jonah is about the person whose name shows up 40 times in 48 verses. Almost once per verse from start to finish. Because the book of Jonah is not about a fish, it's not about Jonah. It's about the person mentioned 40 times who is God. Who would have thought? (laughs) A book of the Bible is primarily about God. Now, that's certainly true of every single book in the Bible, but if you're taking notes, you're watching along at home, grab a pen and write this down. I want to teach you over the next few weeks that the book of Jonah specifically is about God's love for those people. Let me say that again. Uh, There's one thing I want you to remember. The book of Jonah is about God's love for those people. Uh, Do you know what I mean by the phrase, those people? Those people are the kind of people who are not exactly your people. It's that one neighbor that you got, the one kid who sat next to you in history class last semester, That one member of your family that you kind of hope can't make it to the 4th of July barbecue. That one guy at work that if he told you he was moving to Argentina, you would, yes, he'd celebrate quietly inside of your head. Sometimes there's people at church. Sometimes there's people in your neighborhood. Sometimes there's people in your life, even your own family, who are just not your kind of people. You don't invite them to parties because you just don't click. It's Maybe a personality thing, maybe it's a sense of humor thing. What you find funny, they find inappropriate. And what they find funny, you think is just lame. The people who are not going to stand up in your wedding, they're not going to carry your casket. Those people. As I say that, can you think of a, a name or a face pretty quickly? If you're sitting next to that person right now, don't look over in their direction. You'll get awkward really quick. I wonder who those people are to you. You just find tough to like, very difficult to love. You prefer not to be in the same space as them because your blood pressure is there and it's awkward and you do not have a good time. It's really difficult to be kind or patient or gentle or excited about seeing those people. Now, if no one's coming to mind just yet, let me give you two big categories where this is applicable. Uh, For some people in the room today and and some people watching at home, I I wonder if those people are the people who break God's rules. If you're sitting at home watching this or you're sitting here live today, you're probably a person who's fairly serious about God and faith. 
If you're serious about the Christian faith and the Son of God, you're serious about this book, which is the Word of God. And so when you meet people who just, they talk in unchristian ways and they support unchristian things and their worldview and their values, maybe sometimes the, the way they vote, like their mindset is just so different than the way you think as a child of God. And it's frustrating to you. Right too, God's design for the world is pretty simple. You should love people and you should forgive people. God makes men and women. God gives the gift of sex for a specific context. And so when you're with people who are just talking and joking and living like they don't care about that because maybe they don't, it just makes you so uncomfortable. That's not the direction your life is going. It's so much easier to be with your people who share your values and your beliefs and endorse the same behaviors. You just feel like a fish out of water. Even on social media, right? It's easy to unfollow these people because it's just frustrating. They're not doing the things that God wants them to do. And so sometimes we take a step back. We don't have many close friends. Maybe we don't have any friends who are breaking the rules of God. Or, or maybe for some of you, it's just the opposite. But the people who drive you crazy are the people who are actually very religious and they're very serious about the rules of God and they always read their Bibles and they always go to church and they never miss. But the problem is, in your opinion, is that they have missed one of the primary things that Jesus taught to love your neighbor. It doesn't matter how much you know, the Bible says. If you're not gentle or patient or kind, I don't care if you can rattle off the books of the Bible. If you know these people are super uptight and religious and they're always judging people, they're always pointing out what's wrong and they're always making a comment in the comment section, they have no understanding that life can be messy and that people are imperfect. They're probably hiding their own sins, to be honest. They don't have really close friendships or great thriving marriages because they're so focused on the rules and other people's problems. They're not humble, they're not kind and that kind of hypocrisy, that kind of religiosity just drives you nuts. You want to be away from it. Uh, Maybe you you grew up in a religious family like that. You couldn't wait to just be gone. I see that a lot, actually. As I talk to people who go to church or don't go to church. And often what I find is a very, very similar problem, just two sides of the same coin, is that sometimes these people don't want to be around those people because they break the rules. And then those people don't want to be around these people because they think they're always keeping the rules. Now, I'm not sure what it is for you in life or who the person is you find tough to be around. But I, I have this hunch that you have those people in your life too. But here's the problem with that. Do you know what happens in a school or in a church or in a family or in a country where people are only nice to their own people? You ever been to a church where like there's little cliques and people are really kind and they're closed off. Is that a thriving, beautiful image of heaven? You ever been to school where these girls are super nice to their friends, but if you're not one of their friends, they're not nice to you. Can you imagine a nation where the aisle was so wide where these people would only be kind to the people who vote like they do? It's probably difficult to imagine, by the way. Right? You, you see what happens. It doesn't get better when we keep our distance from each other. It just gets more and more bitter. And distrust 
festers and people assume the worst and we accuse each other and everyone's angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier. It doesn't matter what institution or organization, it doesn't matter if it's secular or spiritual. It is a huge, huge human problem when we give in to this very natural thing to stick to our people. And friends, that's why you and I need, 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 need the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, as I've already mentioned to you, is primarily about God's love for those people. And this short little book that you could read in less than 10 minutes, in these 48 verses, four chapters, for the next month here at church, and if you're watching at home, we're going to try to learn about God's insane, boundary-busting love that reaches out to all people, even to those people. A love that reaches down to you people and to me as a person. And a love that hopefully will change us to reach out and love even those people. So, if you're ready to jump into this thrilling book from the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1, begins this way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But, bad word, (laughs) but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Bad start for our friend Jonah. (laughs) You ready for some air mapping? You've heard of air guitaring before? This is air mapping. So Jonah, Jonah's actually from a little, little village in Israel called gath Hefer, just three miles north of Nazareth, a little town where Jesus grew up. And God called him one day to go all the way to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was about 500 miles to the northeast, modern-day Iraq. You can actually see the ruins of Nineveh in Mosul, Iraq. Except instead of making that long journey to preach to these people, Jonah, the Bible said, went down to the west, to the port city of Jaffa or Joppa on the Mediterranean coast, and he paid the fare to sail to Tarshish, which most scholars think was as far in the ancient world to the west as you could go, perhaps on the coast of Spain. God called his man, his prophet, to go this way, and immediately, but Jonah ran, fled the opposite way. Which begs the question, well, why would a prophet of God do that? Doesn't he love God? Doesn't he want to obey God? And some of you who know a little bit about ancient history have a a pretty logical answer to that question. Um, Let me show you a picture that might answer that question. Maybe Jonah ran the other way because this is what the people of Nineveh were like. Uh, The ancient Assyrians were famous for being proud terrorists. In that picture, there's actually Assyrian art engraved in stone that the Assyrians themselves made. Two Assyrian soldiers set up two sharpened pikes. And do you see what they're doing? They're taking human bodies, living, twitching, and they let them go. And the pike works its way through a human body. Like the Romans after them, the Assyrians figured out a way to run a pike through a human body without killing people fast. So you'd sit there and bleed and twitch for hours, if not days. The Assyrians were proud of that. 
I've seen other Assyrian art in a museum down in Chicago where a man is, is stretched out by his hands and his feet and the Assyrian soldiers take their daggers and swords and peel his skin off like you would peel a summer orange. The Assyrians were terrorists and they ruled the ancient world by terror. They chopped off heads and stacked them up outside their city gates and they made art to let the world know you don't mess with Nineveh, you don't mess with Assyria. God looked at it, he said it was wicked and he said, Jonah, you go and you preach. Can you imagine if you were Jonah? Can I send him an email, God? <laughs> like, you want, me to walk, you want me to walk down Main Street of Nineveh and say, you people are all bad and God says that you're bad. If I was Jonah, I would be worried about that. Maybe I would run too, wouldn't you? Except, not to spoil chapter 4, but that's not the reason Jonah ran from this call of God. Uh, When Jonah gets to speak what's in his heart, he doesn't say, I'm sorry, God, I was just so scared and I know I should have, but I didn't know. Jonah wasn't scared, he was mad. And I'll let you read his own words for yourself in a couple of weeks. But I will say this, Jonah was so mad that God would care about those people. People so wicked, so bad, people who had terrorized, maybe people that Jonah himself knew Why would God give a lick about sinners like that? It made him mad. So mad that he ran from God. But apparently Jonah wasn't the smartest prophet. Because trying to run from the God who is at all places at the same time doesn't work. (laughs) Here's what happens next. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, there it is again, had gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up! Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Man, don't you want to flick him in the ear when he's not looking? Like, he not only runs from God, he's telling everyone, I'm running from my God. Wow. Yeah, you're the prophet of the year award goes to? Not Jonah, right? He's running. I mean, these guys seem more, they're pagan, but they seem more religious than Jonah. They're praying. They're trying to figure, they're trying to solve the problem. Meanwhile, Jonah is taking a nap and making a TikTok below deck. I mean, what is this guy doing? But I've already told you, Jonah is not the hero of this story. The book of Jonah is about God. And there's something you're going to notice as you keep reading. It comes up for the first time in verse 4 that the God of the book of Jonah is in control of the universe. Uh, What Jonah said, despite his flaws, was true. I worship the God who made 
the sea and the dry land. He's the God of heaven. And this book proves it. Who caused the wind? God. Who raised up the storm? God. Who will calm the storm? God. Who will send the fish? God. Who will give the fish digestion problems? God. Who makes the plants grow in the book of Jonah? It's God. Who makes the worms hungry in the book of Jonah? God. Who changes hearts in the book of Jonah? The book of Jonah is about the God who rules the whole universe, even nature itself, for the good of the people that he loves. Here we meet a Jonah who's very, very bad and a God who's very, very good. Here's what happens next. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So the sailors asked Jonah, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. End of chapter 1. Now, some of you, especially if you love science, are thinking, whoa, whoa, wait. Pastor, are you saying, is the Bible saying a fish swallowed a guy? That a guy lived, even if it was, let's assume there were big whales with giant mouths in the Mediterranean Sea. How is it possible? Wouldn't he get crushed in his throat? Wouldn't he get dissolved by his digestive juices? Wouldn't he suffocate if he was inside a giant fish for three days and three nights? I have science questions, Pastor Mike, and I will answer those questions next week. So you've got to come back for Jonah chapter 2 when we meet Jonah literally inside of a giant fish. How's that going to happen? Until then, I give you some homework. Google man inside whale and see what you find. If you love the kayak video as much as I do, give me a thumbs up. <laughs> All right, for now, though, I don't want to dodge that question. I'm going to get to it in a week, but I want to ask a bigger question today and spend a lot of time on it. Here's my question. Why did God bother? With the people of Nineveh, why did God bother? Why would God create this mission trip for his man, Jonah, for the impaling decapitating, flaying terrorists who are not at all sorry for their sin. The, the book says from the very start that it was wicked. It was bad. Why would God even bother? If our church started a mission trip to go, I don't know, to the Middle East and find the members of ISIS who have been beheading people and posting videos, would you sign up? Why would God bother with people that bad? And, as long as we're asking the question, why would God bother with Jonah? I mean, why didn't God, when Jonah runs in the opposite direction, just look for someone else? Why didn't God task some angel from his HR department to go on ZipRecruiter and find prophet who will obey requirements? 
Why did God bother to send the storm and then send the fish and then give Jonah a second chance? He's, he's kind of racist. He's very self-righteous. He is rebellious. He's running from the clear call of God. Why would you want a guy like that on your team? Why would God bother with them? And why did God bother with him? Well, you already know the answer. Because you wrote it down. Because God loves those people. Most human beings limit their love. Okay, no one's perfect, but there comes a point when you're so bad, I'm done. Not God. And yeah, I suppose we can all put up with a little pride and arrogance and looking down on other people, but there comes a point where it's just too much, where you can't even stand it. Not God. God takes the normal limits and boundaries of human love and he leaps 16 miles past each one of them and he loves the extremes of humanity. Terrorists like the Ninevites. Self-righteous jerks like Jonah. God even loves those people. I had to wrestle with the implications of that truth the other day. Uh, some of you know a big part of my ministry is writing books. And uh, honestly, the, the biggest work of writing a book is not writing it, it's trying to get people to read it. And so every time I write a book, I normally have, I don't know, 25 to 50 opportunities to go on a podcast or go on a radio show or have a TV appearance, you know, with all these different groups that might get the book in front of someone's eyes who, who needs to read it. And 90% of the time, when an opportunity comes to do an interview, it's just great opportunity, it's humbling, it's awesome, I say yes, I do it. But 5% of the time, 5% of the time I get a chance to do an interview with someone who's not explicitly Christian. I remember one time a secular news station had me on for a quick interview. And even though sometimes those sources don't yet embrace all of my beliefs and all of my behavior, I I personally always said yes to those opportunities I'm going to come with the truth of God. Hopefully I come with a lot of love like God. I want to share truth and love. And who knows? Maybe that's the opportunity that changes someone's mind and gets them to follow Jesus with their whole heart. I've I've always said yes to that. But the other 5%. Not often, but a couple of times, I've had an opportunity to do an interview. When I do some quick research and jump on Instagram or or Facebook, I, I see something makes me twitch. I see that Facebook page where every other post uh, is a Bible passage or a prayer. Beautiful. But interspersed between the passages and the prayers are posts venting about those people. You know, those sinners. Did you hear what this person did? Did you see what this person said? You see, this is the problem with America. And when I see that, I want nothing to do with it. I will tell you this, the only interviews I've declined in my entire writing ministry have been those people. The Bible does not overlook sin, but the Bible is very passionate that discussions of sin must start with ourselves. We cannot point out other people's problems or faults unless we're very open about our own. Jesus said you have to take the plank out of your face 
before you reach for the speck in someone else's eye. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament was convinced that he was the worst sinner in the room. The real spiritual problem wasn't anyone else. It was primarily him. And so when I'm close to a person or a church or a ministry that's always talking about other people's sins, but they don't seem to confess their own, no thank you. Now, the, the kind of proud version of Christianity is not me. I don't want it to be us. I want nothing to do with it, thanks, but no thanks. But then one day, when one of those opportunities came again, it hit me. Is that what Jesus did? A few times in the Bible, Jesus got an opportunity to go to the house and sit at the dinner table of a tax collector. Black sheep, rule-breaking, notorious sinner. Did Jesus step back and say, I don't want to be associated with that? No, he went. He didn't compromise. He didn't agree with everything they did. He went with truth and love. He called people to repentance. He preached forgiveness. He didn't avoid it because he didn't like those people. And when a Pharisee invited Jesus over for dinner, you know the Pharisees? Thinking they're so much better than those tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. They're so self-righteous. They would make up their own religious rules. Did Jesus keep his distance from that kind of religious arrogance? Well, the Bible says he went. He didn't agree with them. He, he didn't compromise. He called them to repentance and he preached forgiveness. Because Jesus was God. And God loves even those people. See, the book of Jonah and the life of Jesus teach us it it doesn't matter if these kind of people drive you crazy or those kind of people drive you crazy. The love of God is reaching out to all kinds of people. So I want you to grab a pen and, and write down two big takeaways that we learn from the first chapter of the book of Jonah. Here's the first one. First, let's love those people. Listen, everyone loves their own people, right? The people you don't like are really nice to the people they like. There's nothing uniquely Christian. There's nothing uniquely spiritual. There's nothing especially godly about loving your own people. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 5. What is shockingly Christian What is a bright light in a very dark culture is when someone is incredibly kind and patient and gentle and forgiving with someone who is not like them at all. That a selfish world notices. And today God is calling me and he is calling you to go out of our way to love those people. To be a church where people are loved no matter what they're like. To be the person in the neighborhood who isn't going to let some political yard sign make them keep their distance or cross with their dog to the other side of the street. To be part of workplaces and schools where we're not going to sit at the little lunch table with our people and talk about those people. No, how beautifully and uniquely and challengingly Christian it will be for you and I to seek people who are not like us to start conversations with people that we find tough to love, to rely on the Spirit of God, to produce the fruit of God 
in our lives to surprise people with our kindness and our gentleness and our love. What would it look for you this week, this month, to turn up your love for that person, for those people? Who would you walk towards instead of slowly trying to slip out the door? Who would you ask questions to hear their story instead of making up some excuse that you have to leave? Who would you show kindness to? Who would you be quick to listen to? Who would you try to understand even if you don't think they're right? But you at least want to know where they're coming from. What would it look like at your job, in your neighborhood, at our church, in your family to make an extra effort to love those people? I'm not trying to put you in a dangerous situation. There's some people the Bible says you need to avoid who are toxic and abusive and dangerous. Don't run back to them. But if there's someone that you just find annoying, difficult to love, God's sending you like Jonah. Don't book a trip to Tarshish. Take a first step towards Nineveh. And if some of you are really nice to me in the lobby after church, I'm going to know, oh, I'm that person. (laughs) Right? May God help us. Just be uniquely Christian and to love. No strings attached. Hard stop. Number two. I need you to know today before I say amen that God loves you people. Not to sermon gut punch you just before an amen, but for the last half hour, have you been thinking about other people? Or have you considered that maybe you and I can be those people too? Uh, we all got something that's kind of annoying, don't we? Some of us, you got to pull words out of. Some of us talk so much, you wish there was a mute button. Some people are so organized and responsible and, and uptight and stressed, and some people are just too casual about things that deserve some serious attention. We all have faults and we all have flaws. There's something about each of us that is sinful and wrong and needs to be changed. But I just need you to know the book of Jonah is such shocking proof that God isn't going to let you stop him from love. Maybe other people have given up on you. But think of this. If God's heart was concerned about the terrorists in Nineveh, have any of you done something so broken and bad that God couldn't love you? If Jesus reached out, not just to people who struggled with pornography, but were caught in the act of adultery, who prostituted their own bodies, how could God not love you? The book of Jonah is so shocking. If God would go to this extreme, man, your story might be bad, it might be worse, it might be the worst one you know, but it's trying to prove to you that there is no sin that Jesus did not forgive on the cross. And there is no sinner who is so lost that God's going to make the church burn down when you walk in. Your story might be filled with sexual dysfunction and struggle. It might be filled with wrecked families and divorces. You might struggle with drugs or alcohol, imprisonment. You might be sitting in a cell right now because your life is so jacked up. But the book of Jonah says that God loves you people. He means it. He loves the world. That includes you. That includes you too. Maybe you've kept most of the rules, but you're kind of realizing today, you know what, I'm a little bit like Jonah. A few people would describe me as the nicest Christian they've ever met. 
the most patient person. I, I read my Bible, but I find it hard just to be kind to people who aren't like me. If, if God wouldn't give up on Jonah, it means he's not going to give up on you. You might struggle to focus more on your own sin than other people's sin. There's a so clear right in front of your face, but four chapters. God doesn't give up on this guy that you and I would want to kick to the curb because God loves you people. And there's no better proof of that than the cross of Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, our Savior Jesus spoke these words. Now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus wanted people to know, when you read the book of Jonah, think of something greater, and that's me. I wonder, did any of you see Jesus lurking on the margins of Jonah chapter 1? Did any of you see any parallels or connections between that story and the true story that is the story above every story? Let me leave you with this. I did. In Jonah chapter 1, we meet Jonah who hated those people. But Jesus loved all people. Jonah ran away from the calling of God. Jesus embraced the calling of God and ran towards us. Jonah admitted that he was at fault in the way that he behaved, but the Bible says that Jesus was faultless in all of his behavior. The only way to calm the crazy storm was to toss Jonah in as a sacrifice, and the only way to deal with our past sin was to offer Jesus as a sacrifice. When Jonah was tossed in, the sailors were saved. And when Jesus was tossed up on a cross, sinners are saved. Jonah spent one weekend, one very memorable weekend, in a fish's tummy. Jesus spent his weekend, one very, very memorable weekend, in a first century tomb. And yet Jonah, after his death, was resurrected and walked upon the earth, which sounds a lot like a guy I know named Jesus. Jonah went to preach to people who needed God's help, repentance, and forgiveness of sins. And that is exactly what Jesus does to this very day. There is someone greater than Jonah. His name is Jesus, and he's the proof of God's love for you. And that's why you're here today. Maybe it's not profound. God loves you. But the God who runs the sea, the skies, the heavens, and the earth got you here so that you would hear this, maybe for the first time ever, maybe for the billionth time in your life, that no matter how bad it's been, God still loves you. I'm not sure if you've ever been swallowed by a fish and vomited back on land. I guess not. But I bet that the God who controls the wind and the waves got you to a place where you met a girl or a guy who invited you to church. Or you jumped online because you were searching for a new church family and there were just enough people talking about this place that you gave it a try. Or maybe you went through your own storm and it was cancer or loss or death and you realized you needed something bigger. You needed God back at the center of your life. I don't know what it was that brought you here, but I do know why you are here so that I could tell you the book of Jonah, the Bible itself, and the life of Jesus is about God's love for those people. For all people, which means by implication, God's love is for you people. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for unconditional love. 
Um, if I had to earn my way to heaven and be a good enough guy, how, how could I ever look back and be confident of my salvation? But you give us this amazing promise that just as you single-handedly saved Jonah, so you do with us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus, the greater Jonah, to forgive us of every sin, no matter what kind, what type, or how often it happened. Thank you for pursuing us, for calling us to repentance and pointing us not to ourselves, but to trust in you and the sacrifice you made through your son at the cross. Um, God, I'm, I'm asking a bold prayer for all of us that your spirit would fill our hearts when we need him the most. Uh, we're going to leave here, maybe in the lobby of this church, maybe in the neighborhood we go back to, maybe in the apartment next to us, maybe at the family gathering. We're going to see that person that is so difficult for us to love, but your spirit can love that person. Your spirit can change us, not to make excuses for a lack of love. It can, your spirit can fill us with gentleness and kindness and peace and joy and a love that is visible to all uh, God, we don't just want to say we're Christians. We want to behave like Christ did. Uh, we need your help to get even close to that. So send your spirit. Fill our hearts. When we stumble, remind us that we are forgiven. And may that forgiveness compel us to try again every single day that this world would see there's something different about Christians because there's something so different about Christ. It's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.